there was this 90-year-old lady who who wanted to she just had a she was just tired and so this one christmas she found that buying presents was going to be just way too much for her so she could, she just couldn't do it so what she decided to do was she she wrote out checks for all of her family and friends and she, what she decided to do is to save stamps she would send them with her christmas cards and so she wrote out all of her christmas cards and on the Christmas card right before her name, she says, buy your own present. And then she sent them off. And it wasn't until after Christmas that she was sitting at her desk when she opened the drawer up there and found all the checks. <laughs> in, the, in, in her desk, everyone had received a Christmas card from her saying, buy your own presents. <laughs> but there, there was no check in there. <laughs> Oh, I, I just get a kick every time I read that. <laughs> you know, have you ever given a, a lot of thought to all the cost that goes into Christmas? This is our second um, series here, the second sermon on this series, Make Room in Your Heart. But have you ever given a lot of thought to that? How much it costs for Christmas? How much it go, the cost you know that goes into Christmas? You know, you have the decorations. And some people spend so much money on decorations. I mean, we have this, there is a place that over in Linden, up near in Williamsport, Linden, where, where Celebration is. Yeah, right down the road from that. This lady, she starts in September to put her decorations up. And it is, you can't even imagine. I mean, we have a candy cane lane that all the houses are decorated on this whole road, she's got more decorations in her yard than that whole road does. I'm not, I'm not joking with you. It's, I don't know how she does it, but she does it all by herself, and she starts in September. But people, it's kind of crazy what people will spend their money on, but, you know, we, we have decorations, you know, there's, there's food, food galore, you know, and, and the gifts, and, and also the travel expense, just to be able to be together, a lot of travel expense. You know, the, the real cost of Christmas is is not just in the, the multiplied millions of presents that people purchase, but in the United States alone, people spend many billions of dollars for gifts. I mean, billions of dollars. You know, in the 1800s, Christmas presents were for kids, for, for the children. You know, uh, the adults gave simple gifts like fountain pens and, and handkerchiefs and those ugly ties. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, after World War I, though, there was this fear that the boom time of the war years would be followed by the stagnant economy. They were really afraid of that. And so... There, there was this push to get people to buy more expensive presents. It, it implied that the more expensive gift you gave, the more, the, the more you cared. And, and, and in the New York Times, on December the 15th, 1919, this is the ad that was run. Listen to this. This ad appeared that began this upward spiral of the cost of Christmas. This ad said this. It says, 
Don't give your family and friends frivolous gifts <laughs> that are sure to disappoint. <laughs> That's what it said. Buy them worthy gifts, worthy gifts that will let them know just how much you care. That's awful. I mean, I think about, I think about the families who could probably barely buy enough food for their tables. And I'm thinking about that ad. They, they ran that in the New York Times. December the 15th, 1919. So this kind of led to Christmas becoming a very costly holiday monetarily. And so folks, I don't know about you, but I think many people today are concerned about the growing preoccupation of Christmas giving and receiving, you know, um, or getting uh, gifts keep getting more and more expensive. Increasingly, the, the Christmas season seems swallowed up by shopping, wrapping, and mailing, and sending cards. You know, have you, have you mailed a Christmas present lately? Have you done that? Have you mailed a Christmas present lately? Unless you go through Amazon, who will send it directly, or another store that will send it directly, you're going to spend almost as much money mailing that gift as you did buying that gift. That's, that's awful. And so Christmas sales in recent years have hovered at near record levels. You know, retailers traditionally expect to conduct more than 19% of their, their annual business during the month of December. They, they really do a push on that. Many companies count on heavy Christmas sales to end the year in black. That's what they, that's what they're counting on that. And so while many families this season will give useful gifts and you probably less expensive items and you may be one of those guys or that's going to get one of those ugly Christmas ties. Who knows? But there, the, these gifts may range from, you know, these expensive gifts may range from boat cruises, mint coats, Luxurious bathrooms. Did you know that there are some people who their bathrooms are so luxurious that they will have gold-plated basins and fixtures? Their toilet seats. Their toilet seats are made with jewels on them. You know what you do with the toilet seat, right? <laughs> they're made. They're made with. They're made with jewels. I mean, real, real diamonds and and, and jewels. It's like. Give me a break. So the question is, is who will give them the world's most expensive Christmas gift this year? What will it be? How much will it cost? Will it be given by a king or a prince or a billionaire? You know, I read just recently as I was doing study for this, I read that the most expensive Christmas tree sold for $11 million. Wow, that's a lot of money. You know, no one knows, of course, about all that stuff, but we do know about the world's most costliest gift. We all know about that. You know, a gift with you and me in mind. Praise the Lord. You know, it was given to the whole human race 2,000 years ago. Nearly everyone knows at least a little about this costly gift because it was a child born in a, a stable in Bethlehem 
and he was laid in, in a manger, this, this feeding trough as we talked about last week. And his birth announcement was made from heaven by the angels. That's the most costly gift. You know, his, his word, you know, word of his coming was, was beamed by this, this special star so that wise men could follow it in order to be able to give this child costly gifts. And yet, at the same time, when the wise men came, I think they realized that they were looking at the most costly gift. Absolutely. So, no other fact in human history is so well attested to as the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's one of the greatest attested to. Online, Encyclopedia Britannica devoted more words to Jesus than to Aristotle, Cicero, Julius Caesar, or even the great Napoleon. More words are talking about Jesus than any of those other people. No life has been so carefully examined, so carefully noted. Jesus' life was like being in a fishbowl. And from every which side, people were looking in at him. And that's, that's, that, so he was, his life was carefully examined and carefully noted. No one has reached down so many centuries with so great an impact on so many millions upon millions of people as Jesus has. We benefit from that. We are the, we are the very fortunate people to be able to say that, that God sent us a savior. He is ours and we are his. The most costly Christmas of all times brought the gift that we needed the most. A savior. The Holy Son of God. That's what we needed the most. This is the good news that we read about last week. Remember we were talking from Luke chapter 2 verse 7? Well today look at this. Luke chapter 2 verses 10 11 says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will, that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you and he is the Messiah the Lord. Chrissy, is that from the NIV? That's a different NIV than what I have. There are two different ones. There's the 83 version and there's the newest one. And so I was wondering about that. I, I'd, I'd never read it that way before, but that was good. So a savior is obviously one who saves. And he does that for us because we cannot do that for ourselves. We cannot save ourselves, folks. And so God saw that he needed to send a Savior, and that's what he did. He sent Jesus. You know, Joan of Arc was credited for saving France from the total domination of the British. In a similar way, the Duke of Wellington, remember what he did? He is credited for being the Savior of Western Europe because he is the one who turned back Napoleon at Waterloo. If you remember your history, that's what he was able to do. But you know what? Such great leaders 
they do save and they have saved nations only from temporary perils and dangers outside of themselves. But the difference between them and what God did for us is he sent Jesus to save us permanently from the deadly foes within. That's the difference. Can Jesus really save you from the effects of sin? You know, that, that is a very important question that every single one of us in our lives have had to ask and answer. And I think it's one of the most important questions of all times. Do you need what Jesus can give you? Well, God says yes to both of those questions. Absolutely says yes. Around the world, an army of liberated men and women could stand and say, Jesus has saved me from sins that that once spoiled my life. He has made my life new. (coughs) Excuse me. I am a new creation because of him. Not one. Not one who has come to Jesus Christ in sincerity of heart has ever been disappointed or let down. The person tried to break an addiction. The successful man or woman that's tangled up by pride or selfishness. The person who is struggling with lust. You know, the the person who is weighed down by guilt. Guilt is unbelievable and how much it weighs on you, pulls you down. And much, much more. You know, all of us have found in Jesus Christ the very help that we need. The very help that we need. God does not change. He does not change. Several hundred years before Christ was born in Bethlehem, God made the promise Recorded in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. This is what he says. He says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. That's what he has done for us. God gave the greatest gift of history to keep the greatest promise of history. That's a promise he made to us. And he fulfilled that promise in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Christmas story, if you remember that Joseph, the husband of Mary, he he was greatly troubled. If you remember that part, listen to what Matthew had to say. Matthew tells us, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her (coughs) quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Wow. 
the greatest, the most costly gift since time began is our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He bought and he paid for the pardon that God offers every single one of us in this room. Only Jesus can save his people from their sins. You can't do it. I can't do it. None of us can do it. Only Jesus can. So, <coughs> excuse me, I got, I got this tick on my throat here. Why was God's gift so costly? Well, I want to share three reasons why I think so. The first reason is this. I think it's so costly. His gift was so costly to us because of the greatness of the need. This, this greatness of the need. You know, the world and its people's future were at stake. Sin had made havoc of God's creation. And that sin still does today. Absolutely makes total havoc of the, of God's creation. It, it brought separation between us and our creator. And see, <coughs> when, when they talk about hell, and they talk about the burning sulfur, and how miserable it's going to be in hell, it's, it's not going to be anything near that. I already have water up here, sorry. <laughs> okay, it got a lobster for me. It, um, <laughs> thank you. All right, all right, all right. Thanks, I appreciate that. I can't help it though, man. It's been, it's been rough. Well, anyway, so, uh, the, the whole, the, the whole situation with hell is, is the fact that, you know, you're going to have the burning sulfur. You're going to be by yourself. You know, you're going to be hearing other people just screaming and yelling for, 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 for healing. And, and it's just going to be total miserable, um, in, in, in hell. But, but the thing that's going to be the worst thing about hell is not the pain that you're going to experience. It's not the, it's not the, the, the lake of fire or the, just the whole surroundings. What's going to be the worst thing about hell is the fact that the creation has been separated from its creator. That we have been separated from God. And so we do not wish that on anybody. We want everybody to come to repentance. There was darkness. There was guilt. And, and the fear of death. You know, Seneca, who was a Roman philosopher, he said, all my life, he said, I have been trying to climb out of the pit of sin. He says, I have been trying to come, climb out of this pit of my sin, but I cannot and will not unless a hand is let down to lift me out of it. Sin has gripped men's hearts so that they cannot change themselves. So apart from Jesus Christ, I hate to say this, but there is no hope and there is no help apart from Jesus Christ. And so the question I have for you is, are you like that today? Unless you have received God's precious gift, the Bible says that we as individuals are helpless and we are hopeless. That doesn't sound like a real good thing, does it? Helpless and hopeless. 
But that's aside from, from the, the gift that the Lord has given us. The second reason, not only because of the greatness of the need, God's gift is so costly because of the greatness of the gift. You know, not only was the need so great, the gift was also great. It was the life of a person. God gave his son. How many of you have sons? <coughs> Given your son. God gave his son. Matthew 3.17 says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You know, the, the this verse, it, it's, it just tells us where Jesus is in this whole, in this whole scheme. This is his son whom he loves, whom he is well pleased with. But I think probably perhaps the, the best known Bible verse of all, which should be a Christmas verse, I think, is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. <coughs> wow, what a, what a great passage of Scripture. How much did it cost God the Father to send his son to the cross for you? Think about your own son. Just think about your own son. I'm not saying anything about daughters here, but you know, daughters are just as important. But think about think about your children then, and how costly that would be to you if you had to give one of your children up. That was what God did. It was so important, you know. So, how much did it cost God the Father to send His Son to the cross for you? The Old Testament gives us a beautiful description, uh, picture of you know, of, of this whole thing. Centuries before the birth of Christ, God revealed himself to Abraham. If you remember, in Abraham's old age, God gave him a son, an, an heir to his, to, to his throne. His name was Isaac. Then came the day when God asked this man of faith to sacrifice his son. And though God had other plans, so far as Abraham knew, he was to take his son that he loved, travel to Mount Moriah, and offer him there <clears throat> on a lonely mountain altar. And as we think of Abraham making that journey with his son, we can picture God's sorrow as Christ moved from the Bethlehem manger to the cross on the hill called Calvary which many scholars believe was pretty close to where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. <coughs> wow. But Abraham was spared from having to sacrifice his son. For you see, at the last minute, as he raised his hand to sacrifice his son, to kill his son, God intervened. But God did not spare his son he suffered and he died to save us from our sins. And thank the Lord that he did. Praise the Lord. The third reason is because of the greatness of the cost. We have the greatness of the need. We have the greatness of the gift. 
but the greatness of the cost. The cost of Christmas for Christ was so staggering that to dwell on it will lead you to wonder and then it will have to lead us to worship. You know, such a sacrifice demands that we bow before him as, as our Lord, our King, our Savior. And that's what we do every Lord's Day, don't we? We come in here and we bow before him and, and worship together. That's what we want to do. There is nothing that we can give to Christ like worship. He loves our worship. For that alone conveys our partial grasp of the magnitude of the cost of Christmas for him. Christmas cost him a lot. You know, it is costly to be unique. And, and Jesus was the most unique person to ever be born. Dr. Hugh Pyle said this. He said, he was the earthly child of a heavenly father and the heavenly child of an earthly mother. That's what he was. No wonder, he goes on to say, he bent the calendar of the world around the, that major cradle, and he did. So we are grateful for the impact on, of, of Christ on our history, um, but why pay such a high price? Why did God have to pay such a high price for that? Why did Jesus have to pay such a high price for that? Well, it's because this is what it cost to redeem man and to reconcile man back to Christ or back to the Lord. It cost that. This is the price for what God wanted and it had to be paid. He wanted man to be saved and it's costly. You know, it was not free to God to get his goal accomplished. This would need to have a blood sacrifice. Remember we always say this. The price of freedom was blood. It cost him his son. It, and it cost his son his earthly life. To bring us back into a relationship with him. It cost him the cross to be born at Christmas. He was born to die. And die he did that we might be saved. See, Christmas is really just a, an extension of, of, of the Resurrection Sunday. It really is. It, born to die. Born to die so that he could save us. Matthew there, Matthew 1, and I think it's 21, says, because he will save his people from their sins. Wow. Such a high price. The price of freedom. The price for our freedom. The price for your freedom was blood. It cost him a son and it cost his son his earthly life. It cost him the cross to be born at Christmas. He was born to die, and that's what he did so that we could be saved. We are saved freely, for it is a gift that Jesus bought for us. But the fact is, it cost Jesus everything. It cost him everything. Grace, we always say this, grace is a, 
is a free gift. It's free to receive. But it costs Jesus everything to give it. It costs Jesus everything. If you were to read, you know, get, get a inspired pictures of, of the suffering of Christ, read these passages here, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Psalm 29, or 69, I mean, sorry. That, that says 29 there. It's actually Psalm 69. Sorry about that. I probably I probably messed that up when I sent that to you. I meant to put 69 there. This great suffering on the cross was only part of the price he gladly paid. You know, have have you ever thought about what Jesus left behind? Have you ever thought about that? What Jesus left behind uh, of what it meant for the eternal Son of God to be born in the form of a man? that he had to leave that throne, he had to leave that place. He, he who um, committed no sin, um, shared sin's effects, he had to come to a sinful place. He who had no sin had to come to a sinful place. You know, he had a human birth. <clears throat> the trials, he, he faced the trials and the sorrows of the life we know. He experienced hunger, he experienced thirst, he experienced fatigue and pain. He even experienced the pains of, uh, of, of death. Jesus experienced all that for us. So the word of God sums it up like this. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, he says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, to be of his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Christ did this willingly for you and me. He did that willingly for us. He saw us outside of a relationship with God. And he willingly came to bring that relationship back together. That's what Jesus did. He says this in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I have I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. <clears throat> wow. And again, <coughs> in John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Guess what you are to Jesus? What are you? So it says there, we are his friends. We are his friends. Just understand that Jesus Christ did not die for sins of his own. He was the perfect son of God or because he was the victim of circumstances. He was never the victim of anything. He would not allow himself to be the victim of anything. He came 
as God's supreme gift to you and to me. That's what he did. So what does that mean? Well, it means that that you dare not miss the greatest gift of all time and eternity. Don't miss it. Do not miss it. The writer of Hebrews asked this very pointed question in in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? How shall we escape that? But it it means even more. You know, the, the, the facts of the most costly Christmas remind us of a couple things here, three things here. First, that there are no limits to God's love for you and me. John 15, 13, we just read it. It says, greater love has no one than this than he would lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. What more? Now listen to this. You tell me, what more can God do to save you than what he's already done? Think about that. What more can he do then it's already done. Secondly, the most costly Christmas reminds us of God's power. <clears throat> How could God be holy and forgive our sins? How could he take rebellious, sinful people like us and change our hearts and our lives? Well, God made it all possible through his greatest gift. He made that possible for us through Jesus. Third, the most costly Christmas reminds us of something else which holds a very serious implication. And this is the last one I'm going to share. While God's love and power are great, we have to remember sin is sin and God hates sin. His wrath and judgment upon sin are real and fearful. You do not want to fall into the hands of an angry God. If God gave His Son to save us from His judgment of sin, how fearful that judgment must be. That is serious stuff. I I can't explain that enough. That is really serious stuff. He would give his his son up, his life up because of sin. Our sin. And so we need to be serious about this. I want you to think back. Remember back in Exodus chapter 12? Remember that? It was Exodus chapter 12 verses 13 through 28, I believe. It was um, when the Israelites they were they, they were in Egypt being persecuted and they were asked to put blood on the doorpost to keep the destroyer, the angel of death from entering their houses and striking them down dead. Many people lost their lives that day, that night. God takes disobedience extremely seriously doesn't he? He absolutely does. And so today we come in contact 
with that blood at the occasion of our baptism. We are washed in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. This blood is what is painted on the doorpost of our hearts that signifies that we belong to Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it's all about, that we belong to Jesus. The story is told of a family who was experiencing some really hard times. The father was out of work. The mother had taken a job, but she was earning very little. Christmas came, and somehow this family managed to still have a happy time. We've been there and done that. I'm sure many of you have. There, there, there were the usual decorations, and, and they had a few small gifts around the tree. But everyone absolutely felt the pressure of, 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 the, of, of the finances being very low that day, that, that year. So the day after Christmas, what did Dad do? He went back out looking for work. The mother went back to work at her job as well. Meanwhile, one of the children amused himself by rummaging through the colored paper and the ribbons that were left from the open gifts. Well, to his surprise, what he found was he found an envelope that was directed to his dad. And so later that night, his father came home. He opened that envelope up and found an extremely generous check in that, in that envelope, a gift that somehow had been placed with the others but was almost lost in the wrappings and the ribbons of the Christmas season. You getting it? For that family, that gift turned out to be the beginning of better things for them. So could it be that you and I too have overlooked the really important gift of Christmas? We're getting there, guys. It's only like 14 or 15 days until Christmas Eve. Have you got your shopping done? Are you just not too worried about it? Let me tell you. Perhaps these moments together have been God's prompting you to look through the odds and the ends of Christmas, the the wrappings and the ribbons, to make sure that something doesn't get lost in that. God's gift for you is here It's right here, right now. My prayer is that we don't miss it. That we just don't miss it. You know, don't don't wait to make it yours. My dad used that excuse all the time. Well, when I'm good enough, Dad, Dad, it's not about being good enough. Jesus has already done that for you. I don't know how many, I prayed for him for 20 years. And finally, when he was 75 years old, I baptized him into the Lord. 79, he died. Jesus is the costliest and most precious gift ever. Don't miss him. Look what 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15 says. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This morning I'm going to have the worship team come up and I just got one more question for you is this. This morning 
Will you make room in your heart for God to write his story? Will you make room in your heart for God to write his story? My prayer is that you will.